And that music means that it is time for the Pilch Point. With online editorial director of Laptop Magazine and Tom's Guide, Avram Pilch. Avram, are you there? I am! Fantastic. Nailed it. We, uh, we missed you last week. Yeah, sorry about that. Hard, hard to Skype from that hotel room that I had in Taipei because everything was coming out as like a tiny block. <laughs> the, the hotel... The hotel internet, like the time difference was one issue, but the fact that like when I did try Skyping with home, I was the video feed and the audio were pretty, pretty poor quality. Not not good enough for this show. It was unfortunate. Uh, Taipei is a very high tech city where I was for Computex 2014 show last week, uh, but they don't have 4G LTE uh, and uh, the hotel internet was decent, but not Skype Skype worthy. Uh, well, you know, but, that that is okay, because you are back this week, you've had a whole week of, uh, of Computex, and you are ready to talk about it. I am. So, for those of you who don't know me yet, I'm the online editorial director for Tom's Guide and Laptop Mag, and you can follow all of my coverage of, and my colleagues' coverage of Computex at LaptopMag.com and Tom'sGuide.com, and follow me on Twitter at GeekInChief. All right, so a whole week at Computex, in addition to playing around at the the computer mall, which I know you do every year. Yep. <laughs> I get before we talk about Computex, what weird stuff did you see at the computer mall? You know, not enough. Uh, it, it, I, I drove my colleague Sherlyn Lowe, who was with me, crazy because we were there for like three hours. I'm like, well, we came here. And I don't want to leave without buying something, but I'm not going to buy something that I could easily easily get in the United States. <laughs> uh, and the problem is a lot of people think that going to the computer mall in, in Taiwan. Now, Taiwan has, for those, let's take a step back, the Taiwan, uh, Taipei, the capital city of Taiwan, has a pretty big computer mall called uh, the Guanghua Digital Plaza. Uh, it is about, it is six floors of nothing but computers and electronic stores. Uh, it's sort of like New Egg in person, is the best way to describe it. Okay. New Egg, but in person. Uh, and and if you're older like me and you remember going to computer shows on the weekends at like the oh, yeah. local college and paying seven dollars to get in and having all these vendors at different tables, uh, it's like that but permanent. Uh, but unfortunately, as you go from place to place, yes, they're selling motherboards and CPUs and and digital cameras and you know, all kinds of keyboards and mice, but it's mostly the same brands that you'll find in the U.S. If you want something really weird, you have to go to mainland China, uh, to Shenzhen, where uh, the stuff is made because they don't have, they'll make knockoffs and things like that. But Taiwan, they're really respectful of intellectual property and things like that. So you don't see uh, too much bizarre stuff. Uh, after looking around for three hours, I bought this. Uh, because I didn't, I haven't seen it regularly, and I thought my son, who loves cars, would like it. It is a car mouse. Perfect. But, uh, Which but car is it? I have no idea what car it is. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just a fictional car. Okay. I don't think it's like a particular make and model. Lights up. Um, but uh, yeah, that was about the that was about the extent of the computer mall. Unfortunately, uh, you know, they had it was mostly notebooks from the common vendors, Asus. Uh, MSI, uh, the obviously Taiwanese vendors are, are big there, uh, but you could also get Lenovo's and Dell's and so on. 
Uh, so nothing too exciting. The cost of some things was actually nothing was lower than in in the U.S. and the cost of some things was actually higher. Huh. So, uh, for example, digital cameras, the cost is higher, I guess, because they're imported from Japan mostly. Um, apparently, there's this new digital camera that's all the rage in Taiwan. That's a Casio XLM TR15, I think. It is a point and shoot that is a made just for selfies and as an arm and they were selling that for $33,000. I should say oh. $33,000 Taipei Taipei dollars which is like $1200 which is still crazy for a point and shoot 12 megapixel camera. Yeah. Um, and it was multiple stores selling it for that much. <laughs> I would really like to figure out what the magic is in this camera but um, let, let me ask you a question. A trend. Here's a question. Yeah. Is it like in other countries in South America where that's the price, but you're expected to haggle. No, no. no. Okay. No, it's not a haggling uh, culture uh, over there. Fair enough. Uh, and and having looked it up on Amazon or whatever, this thing does sell for over a thousand dollars, which is really bizarre to me for point and shoot. I didn't hadn't seen it before I got there. Uh, but there's a lot of cool stuff I hadn't seen before I got there, and. 99% of it was not the computer mall because it was on the show floor at Computex Taipei because it's not out yet. And, uh, and that's, that's, what, that's what's particularly neat. So obviously this was a big show for, uh, for high-res screens, which is a subject near and dear to, I think, all of our hearts. Yes. Uh, uh, so still the price point is not get, becoming reasonable, but now at this show for the first time we saw um, – we saw some laptops with 4K displays. Asus, in fact, released a pair of them in the ZenBook NX500 and in the, I think it was Republic of Gamers GX500, uh, both native 4K resolution on the display. So that was big. Um, we also saw a slew of 3K displays. Uh, that's 3200 by 1800. Uh, Gigabyte released uh, or showed off the Oris X3 Plus, which is a 4.1 pound, 13.9 inch gaming notebook that has a 3200 by 1800 display. Uh, so that was pretty cool. Uh, so a lot of high res. We also saw some all in ones. We, MSI showed an all in one with a 4K display. So uh, 4K and 3K and 2K. Displays over HD are becoming much more common, but still not cheap. None of these products is going to, even though we don't 100% know the price yet, I'm sure they're not going to cost significant. They're not going to cost much less than $1,000 probably, probably more. So, you know, it's it's still not getting to the point where the masses are getting HD, full HD and higher. But uh, for those who can afford it, uh, we're now seeing more and more high-res High res displays, and so, that, and and the trend has always been that you know they come out and they come out expensive and then they taper off over time and that's so the fact that we're seeing more manufacturers get involved in it means that we're one step closer to finally seeing the prices come down to reasonable. Ho hopefully, I mean, right before I left, I did a, a column which we won't get too into here about how for what you get for f a five hundred dollar notebook today and what you got three years ago isn't that different. You're still getting a thirteen sixty six display. Mm -hmm. So I'll be impressed when you see uh, you know ten eighty p and higher displays on 
notebooks that have an average cost, and these days average is $485 is the average selling price of a PC notebook. We're still not there, but you're right. Having uh, better quality components in the high end eventually will hopefully trickle down to the to the low-end devices. Fingers crossed. Uh, finger, fingers crossed. It hasn't so great so far, but, uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, obviously, a huge, huge announcement at the show was Intel Core M. Uh, that's the first CPU based on Intel's broad 14 nanometer Broadwell platform. Uh, that means 14 nanometer process means lower power, lower heat, uh, but higher performance. And uh, I got to see a couple of systems based on it. Uh, Asus has uh, announced its, uh, I think it's Transformer Book Qi uh, 300, which uses the Core M. And I got to personally go hands-on with Intel's Llama Mountain, they call it reference uh, hybrid. Did you? That had Core M. Yes, I got to touch it. I haven't washed my hands since because I don't. <laughs> there might be a micromolecule of Core M here, and I don't want to to lose it. Uh, but it was pretty impressive just how thin it is. It's about like 0.3 inches thin, and yet it stayed absolutely cool uh, to the touch while I was using it. Uh, it's completely fanless design, uh, and supposedly it's going to be 20 to 40 percent faster than today's fanless. Uh, fanless tablets based on the current Haswell uh, platform. So, really, uh, really, really impressive. And I hope, I hope we'll see. We hope to see a, a bunch of stuff with Core M inside. Uh, you know, probably in, I would say at least in time for the holiday, if not some back to school. Um, another trend that was huge at this year's show, if you want to call it a trend, was heads-up displays uh, by really small manufacturers. So my favorite thing at Computex is not going to the Intel press conference or seeing the boatload of products that ASUS rolls out. Those are always to be expected and always useful and helpful. But what's really fun is hanging around Hall 3. This year was Hall 3. Other years been another hall where there are all these small uh, local Taiwanese vendors who sort of have a dream to uh, to produce something like a wearable computer and they're showing off their prototypes. And so you see some pretty neat, very raw stuff uh, that may eventually come to market or may not, but is really kind of interesting. Boy, and what a shocker. A Avram likes to, to find the oddball stuff. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's particularly like, you know, at CES, yes, you find oddball stuff, but Computex is the best. And uh, it was particularly great this year because my co-worker Sherlyn Lowe who came with me unlike me who's been trying for years to learn Chinese is totally fluent in Mandarin so we were really able to get some good scoops from some of these vendors who otherwise would have a hard time communicating uh, with the western media and uh, we, we found some really neat things for example uh, the, the Viewphone phone station this kind of hilarious in its simplicity it, 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 it is a a thing that holds up your phone in front of your face with two, uh, basically two eyepieces, and you play 3D content on your phone because it just like splits the phone into two screens basically, and then you can sort of see 3D things being project projected right into your eye, but it doesn't connect to your phone via wireless or wired. You just literally put your phone in a, in like a case that's in front of the eyepieces and wear the phone on your head. 
And wow. Be, okay. And that's going to be about thirty dollars when it comes out, because uh, it really shouldn't cost more. It's just a bunch of mirrors and a okay, and a thing to hold up your phone. Uh, that was kind of funky. Uh, I I really liked the uh, the um, chip sip sim semi, or they pronounce it simi s i m e, uh, which is a Google Glass competitor. Uh, that we've been following for a few months now. It's it's almost ready for for prime time. It it looks a lot like Google Glass, but it runs full Android, which means you can do things like have Google Hangouts chats with people on it, and they can see what you're seeing, and you can do augmented reality on it. There's a lot of limitations with Google Glass. There's not a lot of things that make it past sort of Google's uh, glassware um, approval. But uh, with this, since it's pure Android, you can put whatever you want on it, which means a much richer uh, experience in, in theory. Uh, and, you know, it run, you can literally use your hand as a mouse and, like, roll over icons and, and touch them. So that was pretty cool. It also had Miracast, so you could actually display what you're seeing on an external screen. Nice. Which is neat. Um, my new profile picture is of me wearing the V-mask, which is... <laughs> That sounds that sounds somewhat sick. The V mask, wearing the V mask, which is a um, another heads-up display. It's primarily for entertainment. You plug it in via USB, and you can watch any movie or anything that's content on your phone being projected into your eyes. But you can also see through it, so you can kind of walk around while you're watching a movie. Uh, although I found it a little difficult to see through it when the movie was was kind of intense. Uh, but that was pretty cool. Um, we saw another another device called the heads head mounted display 3330, which uh, which is which uses wireless uh, uses basically DLNA to connect to your phone and and show you the content of your phone on your screen. So there's there's so there's a couple of different things going on. There are standalone wearables and then there are things that are basically a peripheral for your phone to get the content of your phone in front of your eyes and when you think about it that's actually not such a bad idea i mean it's primarily being targeted for entertainment like movies and maybe games but if you could put the camera and the uh and the display technology in here why do you even need the processing to go and the apps to be in here when they could be on your phone and that's probably a lot cheaper uh, than trying to manufacture something like Google Glass, put the intelligence into into the phone instead, which is already very capable and most and everybody has, uh, and just do you know a Bluetooth pairing uh, makes makes a lot of sense. So um, you know, not a lot in the way of watches. Uh, I mean, there were a couple a couple of you know really um, lame watches on display. Uh, but the other thing I saw that really blew my mind were the uh, wearable um, mo- wearable health monitors. So everybody's got a fitness band these days. They're going to be giving them away in, in Cheerio boxes pretty soon. But um, what a- this company AIQ, uh, which uh, Intel's actually given invested in them a little bit, um, has is that they are selling. They're making wear. They're making shirts with sensors in them. Uh, so, for example, Chunghua Telecom, the largest uh, telecom provider in Taiwan, is uh, working on and was showing off some shirts for old people. And uh, 
what you do with them is they have special fibers in them that can detect the, your heart rate, skin temperature, whether you're breathing or not, whatever. Uh, and then they have like a little Bluetooth uh, thing on the sleeve, which you can pop on and off if you change shirts. Um, and then it, it sends a message with that data out to, um, you know, to another device, which might send it out to the Internet. And so if you've fallen and you can't get up, you don't have to call someone. You don't have to hit a button. Uh, your caregiver will get an alert that you're not feeling well. Uh, and they can also track uh, your vitals over time to say, hey, this person seems to be having a, a breathing problem or, or whatever. So uh, really interesting technology to kind of keep track of uh, keep track of your health just by clothing that you wear rather than by a bracelet. And it potentially can do can measure a lot more than a bracelet because uh, while the ones they were showing didn't didn't measure that many different uh, vitals, uh, AIQ has ones that will do like an EEG and an EKG um, like on you, an ECG on you as you walk around. So um, so pretty neat, uh, pretty neat stuff in terms of wearables and, and monitoring your body. Um, the, the final thing I, I really just had to throw in there is that there were some really wackadoodle things that we saw in the last day. And one of them is a seatbelt monitor that beeps if your kid tries to unbuckle their seatbelt in the back seat. But it's also designed to beep if you walk away from the car and leave your kid in the back seat. Like that, that kind of struck me as a little bit weird because it is a problem. But if you're aware that that's a problem, aware enough of the problem, why would you <laughs> need to buy something? Like it's if you're that if you're that kind of careless person that leaves your kid in the back seat, you probably wouldn't go and buy a device to prevent you from doing it. But uh, but they're working on it. See, I think that's for like manufacturers uh, like Ford and, and such to then buy from them and implement into the car just automatically instead of yes. the negligent father <clears throat> buying it. Sure, that makes no, sense. No, it's correct because you really can't change the – I don't know if you can really change buckles on your seatbelt. So it's meant to be sold. They were talking about maybe as part of a car seat, um, maybe to the oh. car manufacturer. Ah, uh, probably part of a car seat would work out better because they don't have to penetrate like the – Halls of power at the major auto manufacturers yeah. for that. Um, so, who knows whether whether we'll see that? But it was interest. It was interesting to see just uh, the types of things that uh, that these small companies are thinking of. Yeah, and that, you know, we we've talked before, especially during or after CES, that you know your favorite, our favorite things to see are the the oddballs and. Like you said, there's no better place than Computex for that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's really. Uh, I mean, that's that's the real fun. I mean, if we we picked our best laptops and tablets uh, from Computex, and I encourage uh, the listeners to go and check them out. We have this one list on laptopmag.com and another on tomsguide.com that you can see. Uh, you know, some of the the best mainstream products, laptops, tablets. We even did pick uh, most innovative and best wearables, but um, you know, the, the most enjoyable, uh, th thing that we do is find just interesting things that are kind of on the cutting edge. And, uh, so we have a list on, on Tom's guide that you should definitely check out of the weirdest gadgets that we saw at Computex. And, 
uh, you know, weird doesn't necessarily mean bad. It also right. means interesting. It also means, you know, cutting, coming to you soon, perhaps. We saw a 3D scanner. That was pretty cool. We saw a 3D all-in-one printer scanner. Uh, I mean, those are things that you might really, you might, might really become part of your life soon. One of the, one of the things that's always interesting about the oddball stuff is um, that while the little companies may not bring them to market as is, they can either get purchased or, you know, the the idea might spark some other thing. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of, you know, you may see this somewhere else and who knows, it could be a copy, it could be that the property was licensed, you know, none of these Taiwanese companies uh, really has a great deal of ambition in terms of getting their brand out there. They're hoping to sell it so that it can be marketed under someone else's brand. So, uh, you know, it's unlikely that you'll see that you'll see these things. Um, you know, you'll see these things on Amazon.com anytime soon under the brands that we saw them. But there's a decent possibility you'll see them under a more famous brand uh, or something that's very similar to them. So, you know, it's just really interesting to see uh, where things are going. You know, maybe a year or two from now, we'll see that baby seats have this have this function on it. And little, little, you uh, to most people, maybe it started right in, the, in Hall 3 of Computex. Absolutely. Right. Really so. cool stuff. Well, Avram, um, but of course, it's not just uh, not just wearables and things like that that we saw this week. Uh, uh, in addition to Computex, which some of this comes out of, we also had uh, Samsung's Tizen event, right? Yep. So did you so, guys? Did you guys have anybody there? Yes, we did. We had someone. Uh, we had someone at the event. Uh, they found the phone, uh, you know, pretty pretty useful uh, as far as they could see. I mean, I think what's uh, what's interesting about Tizen is I've I've actually uh, tried installing the emulator on my on my PC the the SDK stuff. Right. Um, a little difficult to install, I, I might add. Um, you know, it's it looks and feels very much like Android, and you just really get the sense. I just really get the sense that it's not it's not there to be innovative. It's there to kind of to allow a breakup of Samsung and Google. Absolutely, so it's there so that Samsung can completely divorce itself from Google, and uh, obviously that's a challenge. But I don't know that it's just, it's not necessarily good for. For use for consumers at all, because now you're fragmenting what has been a fairly big platform. Uh, you're going to have to have people develop for Tizen, since Samsung is such a big player. They probably will be able to get companies to develop for Tizen, but now you're adding uh, expense and pain uh, to for developers. And what's going to be the result of this? Is it going to hurt say HTC and Motorola because they're sticking with Android and they're not going with Tizen is it going to hurt Samsung because developers are going to going to keep their investment with Android is it going to force some concessions out of Google to allow Samsung to do what they want with Android I don't know I think this is part of the reason I think this I think this is a little bit of a scary time if you're a develop an Android developer because Samsung is kind of messing with your with your livelihood right uh, and uh, 
you know, if you're a consumer, it's like which horse are you going to bet on? It's a pretty safe bet to bet on uh, on Android, but you know, if next year's flag flagship Samsung phone, which everyone always looks forward to, is Tizen only, mm, I think uh, it's a big risk for Samsung, but it's a bigger risk for for Google at this point. Uh, part of the problem is that Google has not been a good parent to Android in the last year or two. They have barely updated the operating system. I went to Google I.O. the last couple of years. They barely even hold sessions or talk about Android anymore. They're all about Chrome OS. Uh, so uh, in their sort of absentee uh, landlord uh, business, they've, made, they've kind of made an opening for Samsung here. Uh, I think Tizen phones could be could sort of match the functionality that that Samsung has brought to Android. The question is, is it a standard anyone else is going to adopt? Right. I think the answer is no. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Um, but you know, Samsung has been very clear, uh, particularly over the last two years, about their displeasure with the the shifting sands of the of the Android manufacturing requirements, and their. Uh, they're particularly unhappy with the requirement to have the what is it to have the Android logo as part of the boot splash screen or something like that. Um, because you know Samsung goes to a tremendous amount of trouble to uh to kind of hide Android. Yeah, <laughs> the the TouchWiz interface is all very custom. It's very Samsung, and of course, Tizen looks very much like the Android of Samsung, which you would expect them to to do to make it a more natural progression between the two handsets. Just like uh, we talked about, I guess it was last week while you were uh, while you were off, we talked about that the the Galaxy Gear got a swap out. From yeah. Android to Tizen, and visually there's zero change, but they got all of the a lot of the new, uh, the new Gear Two functionality. I th- I think Samsung is just frustrated with the way Google does things and and is threatening them in one way or another. Well, I hope Google gives in because it would, it's just bad for everybody and particularly bad for other Android makers like Motorola and like Motorola and HTC because, yeah, on the one hand, they could claim to be doing pure Android, but if Samsung's not supporting it, the platform is in trouble. Right, absolutely. And, and that kind of leads us into the second part of this. Uh, it's not just Tizen handsets that we saw announced this week, we saw a number of, of small manufacturers who we have traditionally associated the small manufacturers with building Android devices. We saw them go windows phone instead. we there's, there's a uh, blue and prestigio and yes, these, these, you know, not big global players like Samsung who also seem to be shifting in a different direction, but not having the resources of Samsung to either build their own operating system or bet on an oddball. You know, they don't have the resources to be able to bet on Tizen and hope for its success. And uh, so these these uh, these three 
in addition to uh, three others, all talked about in one way or another uh, Windows Phone handsets. Because, I think it comes down to licensing. Yeah, because Microsoft recently dropped the licensing fee. Yeah, I think it comes down to licensing. So now they don't have a licensing fee. In fact, with Android, I think they had to pay Microsoft $15 or something because of the uh, yeah. the various patent uh, patents that Microsoft claims within Android. It actually so dep- Windows- it depends on the manufacturer. It ranges between 6 and 15 I think LG is the highest. One way or the other, they have to pay, they have to pay some some kind of fee, uh-huh. uh, and and this way they they don't have to pay any fee. Uh, beyond that, it's a chance to differentiate because uh, everybody's seen low cost Android devices. We've sort of been there, done that. So exactly, maybe this is their way to differentiate. Like, look, we have Windows Phone. There's not actually that many companies making Windows Phone, particularly in the U.S. So. Here's a chance to here's actually a chance to stand out and to be different. So so good for them and, and good for Microsoft because uh, that's been an issue is trying to win at the low end. Yeah. Uh, where Android has been dominant. Right. So because, you know they they've got the Lumia five twenty and six twenty and now six thirty which are in in the low end range. Uh, the HTC eight S never made it to a to a carrier here. You had the 8XT, which was kind of the 8S uh, on Sprint, but they jacked the price up on it above what the hardware was worth. So you really, you've only got the 520 and the 620, and they only work GSM, which leaves Verizon out in the cold. Yep. So... So yeah, I mean, I think obviously we're I think we're going to see more. I think we're going to see more Windows phones from uh low-cost manufacturers. I think we're also going to see more experimentation from uh the major manufacturers. I believe I believe Samsung came out with a new announced new Windows phone not long ago uh after not doing one for like 6 months or a year. Yeah. So so I think the the, the new, licensing the new Verizon phone. Yeah. Yeah. I th- I think the licensing uh, thing is going to move people. Um, I think also with uh, obviously with the low cost of, I think we're in for a new generation of low cost Windows tablets as well. Yeah. With this, with the special Bing version of of Windows 8. So. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think this is Microsoft's trying to move the needle. Uh, I think they'll. I think it whether they're able to move the needle will really depend on. Uh, the value, the value proposition of the hardware, the software, the software is good. You can sell people on the software. Uh, I mean, obviously, with apps, it would help if if we saw more uh, app parity on Windows Phone. But I think, um, uh, particularly for low, for cost sensitive users, it's am I going to get something that looks and feels premium? Right. And uh, you know, the blues of the world might be in a position to deliver it, particularly if they're targeting uh, the low-cost carriers like the no-contract carriers like Virgin and uh, Cricket and so on. Right. Um, so the the Yez handsets, which they've they've bought into the concept so much that their handsets are actually called Billy after Bill Gates. Um, there's a 4 and a 4.7-inch. The 4-inch handset is going to outright be 139, which puts it right in between the Lumia 520 and 620 price points, which is a great place for one of these guys to be. Um, then you've got, uh, you've even got a couple of companies who didn't physically show off hardware, 
but you've got um, Winstron and uh, Compal, which is a company who has actually released products under the Nokia brand in the past, uh, both announcing upcoming uh, Windows phone devices. And then um, the VP of OEM partners at Microsoft, uh, Nick Parker, said that HTC is legitimately working on another uh, another Windows phone, which, you know, we've we've had rumors for a month or so that that they're working on an HTC one variant running a Windows phone and this certainly lends credence to that rumor. So that would put another player in the high end of the of the race, which would be which would be fun. It would be nice to have you know, the HTC 8X was a kind of a middle-of-the-road handset, especially compared to the 920s of the world. Uh, but so you got these companies like Yez coming in at the $130 price point. Then you got an HTC One running Windows phone. There's, I mean, there's a lot of players coming in all over the map. Yeah, I think, you know, and I think, uh, Windows Phone is, I believe, growing faster outside the U.S. than in. Yes. Uh, so, so I think there's, I think there's a good chance for Microsoft to take to take some share, uh, particularly on the low cost part of the market, which has traditionally been Android the last few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, no, no doubt that that the licensing change is is really good and is really good for Microsoft. And of course, one of the things that they've also done is lower the hardware requirements for Windows Phone right. uh, so that so that you're able to run it on lesser hardware, which is also cheaper. So so yeah, I think it's I think it's going to depend on the ability to to market it uh, by having really good looking phones mm-hmm. and potentially doing what they can to differentiate on the software side. But now, because Windows Phone is such a minority operating system, it's such a low market share uh, right now that that it seems unique unique compared even to a skinned version of Android. You know, once you get up into having a lot of competition in Windows Phone, then I think um, then I think. There will be more concern by the by the OEMs about how do we make our phone different than other Windows phones. Sure. But but right now, and and that I think was a legit concern a couple of years ago when Windows Phone was new was like, oh okay, I can scan Android to make it look like mine. But now my phone's UI looks so much like Nokia's, looks so much like Samsung's. How do I stand out? Sure. Uh, and Android still offers that, but right now the numbers are so so low. That I f- that I think if they can come up with compelling hardware, they can probably just sell people on the operating system. Absolutely. And now that now that with uh, Windows Phone 8.1, uh, hardware manufacturers have the option to uh, to remove the capacitive buttons at the bottom and turn on and off the uh, the three buttons across the bottom. Uh, you know, more people seem to you know hardware seems to be interested in that since that's the way Android has been for a while has had the ability to do the the on-screen soft buttons as opposed to the uh the physical three capacitive buttons. Yeah, I mean that that probably saves them some money. Uh, yeah. Based on my experience with my toddler trying to touch a touchscreen, I prefer the physical ones cuz he accidentally hits the soft ones all the time. But uh <laughs> 
you know, but yeah, it is another way that they can they can differentiate. And so, uh, hopefully, HTC, which is really good at doing software and interface, can at least uh, do something unique, maybe with a camera app or something like Nokia has done. Absolutely, uh, to try and make their phone, their Windows phone, stand out. Absolutely. So there's there's a lot of there's a lot of possibility. I know that Blue has got for their Android phones has got a uh, a customized camera app, uh, particularly some selfie thing because that's the word this year right um and uh so it'll be interesting to see what they do with that app uh on windows phone and i'm so curious that i've already contacted them about it so because you know blue is an interesting company uh they're based in miami so we they're they're unique in that they're actually a u.s hardware phone company Yep, we uh, we've been in touch with them a few times. I think we should now that this is going on, we're going to make a more concerted effort to get some of their products into review because uh, it's very interesting. Well, I've started a, a bit of a relationship with them, so I I will push push their contact information your way. And speak, cool. speaking of contact information, Avram, before we get out of here, give him yours one more time. So I'm the online editorial director for Tom's Guide and Laptop Mag. You can check out all of our news at tomsguide.com and laptopmag.com and follow me on Twitter at Chief. Very cool stuff, Avram. We and will... Uh, the, the next the next topic we're going to get into is talking about E3 coming up, and we know that uh, you guys have Cherie in in LA, so uh, definitely keep, keep up with them this coming week. Yeah, definitely. Yep, we do. Thanks, Avram. Talk to you guys later. Ciao.